We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome along to the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. You've got Alex Hurst, Adam Widrington, Benjamin Wade, special guest George Colkin of The Athletic, here to talk through Newcastle United won Wolves won Festival of Football at St James's Park yesterday on Sunday. George, oh yes, thank you so much. Come on, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in. I, I know you were chomping at the bit. Yes, as soon as you got the invite to talk through exactly what went down at St James's Park yesterday. Well, we um, just—I mean, we could talk about absolutely anything else if you'd prefer. I think the listeners have a, a prerequisite expectation, but are you sure I, about that? I don't know. There's a lot been going on in Emmerdale this week. I think. I mean, uh, literally anything else. Could, could go like that. Denise put Emmerdale, no one's put any other. There was some sort of explosion went on from the adverts and stuff. Right, em- Emmerdale fans, tweet Ben at BWay3 if you want your Emmerdale news this week. I didn't know you had the time to watch Emmerdale. I, I don't, I just saw the adverts. <laughs> but I figured that would be. I mean, I've more never interesting watched it, but I'd, I'd happily talk about that. Yeah. I'd happily blag that. Be better than what we're going to talk about for the next hour, to be honest. So. Right, well, true Emmerdale podcast coming up straight <laughs> after this one. Um, yeah, George, thanks so much for your time. You are you are now with The Athletic, which is a, a fantastic publication. I would love to chat to you about that once we get the, the unfortunate stuff out of the way. Oh, which come is, on, do we have to, Alex? We have, yeah, uh, we have to. First of all, I have to plug brand new True Faith fanzine out now, Geordie Shaw on the cover. Please buy it. Uh, written by people like you, for you. Uh, £2.50 plus postage or £1.50 digital edition. Um, it is the best Newcastle United fanzine because it's the only one at the minute, the only one left. So, you know, buy it, get in touch. If you'd like to write for it, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, links in the description of this podcast. Is that all right, lads? Pretty good. Yeah. Brilliant. Good team. Here, here to all. Right, here we go. George, welcome. Newcastle United, one Wolves, one. How was it for you? I mean, pretty shit, um, to be honest. Um, yeah, there were 10, 10, oh God, just listen to my voice. It just sounds so sad. <laughs> Um, there were 10 minutes. I've got a monotone voice anyway, so it doesn't help when I'm talking about stuff like that. So I, I could try and raise raise my voice an octave. You could um, sing, you could could sing, sing a report. It. I could sing it. There were 10 <laughs> minutes that were quite good in the first half, um, sort of around the goal and sort of felt like that could be something or the start of something or something to get excited about, but it really wasn't. And uh, it was flat, it was quiet, the atmosphere was the same. The team was flat, the team was quiet, and the second half was awful. Um, does it count as a sort of good point? Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, 
I didn't particularly think either side warranted a win, particularly. If you look at the games that have gone, um, this for me was the start of, you know, the start of the time when you wanted Newcastle to make a move. You wanted them to sort of say, okay, we've got a great win against Man U, admittedly a terrible Man U side. Solid against Chelsea, solid enough against Chelsea. Now's the time. Now's the time to do something. This is a run of games where really they need to do something, and it wasn't there. And that was, you know, that's the concern. And I'm sure we'll talk about it. The concern is also the goals or lack of goals and the lack of creativity and the lack of chances. And you know, come away from it feeling feeling very flat, feeling that this is very familiar. I wrote about relegation. Part of that was inspired by by your piece, Alex, about relegation and the fact that, you know, a, releg- a relegation... I mean, Newcastle have been in a relegation battle for a decade, effectively, on and off, um, and it's more of the same. No sugar coating that. Yeah, it's very sad, Adam. And Adam, you were saying earlier that the final whistle just brought this weird emotion for you. Do you want to go into that? It's like just a weird it? emptiness. Like, it definitely wasn't the worst game I've ever seen us play. It wasn't the worst performance. We... We, we we went down to 10 men and held on for a draw against a, a European side, you know, if we, if we want to sort of strip everything back. But there's, even in spite of that, there's just this, there's, there's just this, there's, there's, there's an emptiness, there's something missing. And I just got, you know, when the full-time whistle went, I kind of, I usually sort of know how I feel about a game. And, and, and yesterday I was, I was so conflicted and, and I was thinking, did I did I enjoy that? Well, well, there was, was there positives from the first half? I mean, we we did a few good things, but then am I just getting too excited because I saw a couple of our inside forwards dribble a bit, and that was quite that was like a little bit of a short term thrill. But ultimately, it's kind of the wider context of what this is and what this means for kind of you know we've played ten games now. What what does this mean for the next twenty eight games left of the season and? It's, it's very, very uninspiring stuff. Ben, where did you watch this game from and why? At home. <laughs> uh, partly because I thought I would have been watching it on my own if I'd have turned up. Uh, and also I was... Just you in the whole ground. Just you. Just me, yeah. I didn't want to be alone. To be fair, Chris Woff, friend of the show and colleague of George's, literally did watch the match on his own for a bit. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> from the back of Block V, and it was quite sad, if anyone hasn't read the piece or seen the piece, it's quite sad, that photograph of him, because that was where my season ticket was, the seat in front of him, because he put the seat number in the room. Oh, right. Last season, and that was Block V, which was bouncing, which was a bit nuts, and very different to the normal Premier League experience, and it's empty now. It's empty because we've moved, but we moved because it was empty type thing. Yeah. Um, and, to, and to give that some context, not not meaning to do a plug, but the idea of that is... You know, whatever it was, it was six, six, six thousand seven hundred, whatever it was, down yesterday, and that's been a theme this season. And I'll try and get this stat right: the percentage of seats filled at St James's is lower than at any other stadium in the Premier League this season. Obviously, there are a lot of people, so. But you know, maybe if you look, if a, the casual observer looks around, maybe doesn't see that many empty seats because they're grey or they're black or whatever, and it, you know, it's not immediately apparent, but. It's a big number, and the point of what Chris was writing was those six six thousand empty seats. It's not just bits of plastic; it's actually six thousand sad stories, and mm-hmm. that is the, you know, that is the that was the point of what he did, and it's that is really sad. You know, that is sad. Um, anyway, sorry, that was. A small I mean, question. just on that, I, I mean, I, I never thought 
even in the, the last over the last few seasons, the, the football hasn't been great. There's been um, its its results have been very similar. I mean, obviously last season we didn't win a game for for ten games, but I've never felt like I couldn't be bothered to go to a football game or I had better things to do. Um, but I just I suppose it's a bit like what you're saying at the final whistle. There's just something missing, and it's just what is the point? I don't know. It's, it, it just feels like everybody's wasting their time a bit. Did you also have a massive hangover? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, if yeah. we're being honest, that was the main... The main. Uh, There's no narrative in that, so keep going with the other stuff. Like, yeah. But... Um, my gosh, Lee, what, look what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've driven drink. us to drink yeah. two days earlier. But, it, but kind of following on what you're saying there, it's kind of like... Like, I was... Yesterday, I was getting excited when Sam Maximan got, got on the ball and just sort of, like, driving at the Wolves' defence, and it was... It it was a thrill, and it was like, oh right, yeah, this is what I'm totally into. This, this is this is this is classic. The, the potential and the intent, and it's all great. But then actually, when you kind of analyze it all, it, it does it doesn't actually lead to anything tangible. And and it's like, am I? Is the only reason I'm going to a football match is to get excited about like a really good, skillful dribbler getting the ball on the halfway line and just running toward like that's that's what I'm kind of. There's nothing to hang your hat onto, and that, that, that that's kind of it for me. And it's, but even when you said earlier, when you said oh, it's a point against a European team, and we're talking about Wolves, <laughs> who came up last season and did brilliantly and finished seventh, yeah, and fabulous. But they came up with a plan. I mean, they came up with a plan. They came up with momentum. They knew what they were doing. Whatever you know, the, the way they've recruited players has been controversial, but it's brought it's brought dividends, and they've got a plan. And, you know, we're talking about, we're not, you know, anyway, I mean, you, you know, and you see Newcastle come up, Newcastle come up with momentum, and then what happens? It's the same old, it's same just, old story. It's dissipated. Yeah. They hit a cul-de-sac, basically. Well, yeah, the, the club's not in, the club's not built to kick on. It's built to fail. No, well, yes, um, absolutely. I think yesterday, one of the things which was most disheartening is Wolves were atrocious in the first half, atrocious. They were... They were slow. They moved the ball slowly. They didn't seem, you know, to be putting any effort in. And the Wolves' end was very loud. It got very quiet as the game went on because it's one of those games. We've all been there as a farm where you're just like, fuck's sake, we're not at it today. You know, caveat, they were in Eastern Europe 64 hours earlier yeah. playing football while yeah, our lads were... We've seen that before, yeah. Yes, exactly, we have. And, and you know, Nuno's there and he's not got a jacket on, but he's got gloves on. I don't know what that's about, but, you know, he's, he's got skin-tight <laughs> leggings on. Yeah, you what? <laughs> Stylish man. Stylish man, yeah. First, Probably the first manager to wear gloves at St. James's, I don't know. Anyone were they like proper like to stay warm or were they like leather driving gloves or something? <laughs> like Ryan Gosling and Drive kind of. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think they were they were gloves. Like, you know, you buy those gloves from service stations that still let you use your iPhone. <laughs> I think <laughs> they But he was going nuts from about 25 minutes onwards. I love watching the managers when I'm sat in that part of the ground because you, you learn so well. You try and learn so much from them. And he wasn't happy. And, I, and the sad thing is the person I was with at half-time would, would both turn to each other. Normally at half-time, they were great. 1-0, job's half done. Kick on second half. We just said, they're not going to be this shit no. in the second half. What are we going to do? What happens? Nuno is a very, very good manager. He makes a change at half-time, pushes Trower further forward, and over and over again, they get in on our left flank, which I tweeted that it was really weird for me to be kicking off at the game because I thought... Clark and Willems actually had really good games, but St. Maxi Man in front of them just provided, which is no surprise really, provided no kind of support. 
Um, and and eventually they scored. And I think from the fiftieth minute onwards, everyone around us could see that they were going to score. You know, there was a a time in the first half where second half where Wolves' whole back four were pushing beyond the D of the centre circle into our half. And most disappointingly for me, the manager, you know, everyone's got preconceptions, everyone's got an opinion, didn't change it whatsoever. Now, I know he hasn't got an abundance of options on the bench. He hasn't got players that you think, well, they're definitely going to change the game. But I thought this is an opportunity for him to show some tactical acumen, not just him, but the coaching staff. And it was just, we're waiting until they scored. Yeah. And that, and that was it. He's got to try. Like, I'm sorry, but to to wait as late as he did just showed you as see. if he he basically held his hands up and admitted defeat to say I'm I'm keeping these people out here because this is all I, th- I think I could do. There's nobody I trust. I mean, it's a bit of a scathing indictment on the, of the players on the bench that he doesn't believe any of them right, you said, can yeah. can come yeah. off the bench and have any sort of positive impact. I mean, the fact that he's he's left the changes for as long as he did. It well, was almost the, the red case card, of, wasn't it? The red yeah. card was what implemented the changes. But, that, but that's the thing. So he he was satisfied with what he was saying on the pitch, which was a waste of time. Basically, we were getting overrun, as you say. It was a case of we were waiting for them to score. It felt like, um, and for him just to sit there and just watch that happen. He said he said afterwards that he thought that the best. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but the best chance of changing the game was already on the pitch. Yeah, which is is an indictment of. The squad. the squad is yeah. that to say that he's he he only I mean we're talking about this before does does he just have a plan A I mean it, it's not even a proper full plan it's probably like a draft plan A that he has but has no plan B at all like there's like he he's found a way that he's won a couple of games so is it just sort of rinse and repeat rinse and repeat and hope that just something sticks that something comes off because it's almost like he didn't have the balls to Ma- change Ma- it. Matty Longstaff, just start shooting, son, like from anywhere, just hoping. Like, does, does he not have the balls to change it? Does he not have the ideas to change it, the, the, the creativity, the innovation? What What is it that he... Does he, is he, he has to... He, he said himself after the game, and he referenced it in your piece, George, about, you know, you know the, the, the lack of goals. Like... So he's aware that he's very, very aware of it. Obviously, he says, you know, looking at the statistics, we're not. We don't. Well, you, yeah. you just need to look at the <laughs> the goals for. <laughs> like, how's what does he do? Well, yeah, I think that's a good. I mean, it's a good. It's a good question. I mean, I thought it was a rhetorical one there when you were saying, does he know what to do? <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, he knows he's got. He knows he's got problems with the squad, and he knows he's, there's a lack of balance there, and he knows it's built one way. I mean, I've chatted to him sort of before and after press conferences and stuff like that. And he says he doesn't want to play this way, but he feels that this is the only way that he can play. So, or set the team up, I should say. Um, and, you know, if you have a front front three of Jolinton, Almiron and um, some maximum, you've got, there's pace there, you know, there's a counter-attack there, but it's not the same, it's not the same triangle that was there last season that worked really well. It's no, it's no coincidence that Almiron looks lost this season. I mean, I, I thought he did okay yesterday, but that he looks lost this season because the two players with him last season, he made them better and they made him better, and that's what you want. That is what you want from those partnerships on the pitch. And at the minute, they've all got individual qualities. You can see that, but it's not working. It's not working. There's not a centre forward there, not in the traditional sense, not in the Rondon sense, and you know, there's no. There's no kind of fluency there. There's no... Anyway, I'm sort of going off on a tangent, except to say that, you know, okay, he brought Shelby on. Shelby is a liability, I think. You know, he's someone who should be able to 
sort of dictator game, but he doesn't. He gives the ball away. And if you're, you know, if you're if you're wanting to a be solid, he's not the person to have in front of your defence. And you know, I think Atsu's played pretty well this season, but you know, you're kind of swapping like for like. And then you've got, you know, where, where, what are you left with? <sighs> you know, Newcastle have an ab- abundance of mediocre right backs now. Or fullbacks, you know, the fullbacks haven't got better after what they've done. I mean, Williams has, has done all right, but you know, you know what I mean. I mean, there's no sort of if you look to that bench as it stands a minute, you've got Gale, fine. Everyone's been getting really excited about Dwight Gale coming back, a striker who's brilliant at the championship, but is a top of the championship. He, he's 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 in that space between the championship and the Premier League. He's not done it consistently in the in the Premier League. Newcastle have got a lot of players like that. So could he have done something differently? I would have liked to him. I would like to have liked him to have changed it because it wasn't working. But I do have a measure of sympathy when he says that his best chance of changing the game was already on the pitch. And do you bring one of those players on and actually cause yourself more problems? For, from my perspective, I think what well, everything you said makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, it was so apparent to a lot of people on the ground. And you know what? I'm not going to be hyperbolic. Steve Bruce knows more about football than me or any other fan and that, you know, he's a decorated manager, he's a player, you know, he understands football. But Wolves to be leaving so much space, practically yeah. the whole of their half. You know, Muto came on against Watford for 10 minutes and that game changed when he played Joe Linton and Muto up front and we went 4-4-2. And for all of it, for 10 minutes this season, it looked like we might win a game at the end of end of the, end of of the that one. I just thought, you know, if we can say that they're going to score, the players can say they're going to score, Surely something, I, 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 and I hate doing this, but I can't imagine the previous manager would have just allowed that to develop, regardless of what he had on the bench. You know, it's very small things, and I'm being hypercritical, but when Dwight Gale came on with Shelby, Shelby booted one over the top, and there was a little bit of indifference between the Wolves goalkeeper and the Wolves centre-backs. He, Joe Linton didn't cause that. He's chasing shadows. He's he's detached, like you say. He's, he's not suitable for what he's being asked to do. And, you know, you only have so much sympathy for young, rich young men. You know, earning lots of money, but you do feel you do feel sorry. Eyes are watering here, Dad. Stop. You do feel sorry for him. And I, like and I just, an appeal or something at the end. The thing I worry about the manager is at the minute, and he, he's going to be here for a while to come. And you know, we are actually outside of the relegation zone, as we speak, and would have been anyway, even if Southampton had only lost one 0 at the weekend. But if I'm a player in that team, if I, you know, you've always you've already seen this season players getting frustrated. You might have seen one again yesterday in Sean Longstaff. I'm a player. I'm kind of. Do I have any confidence in the coaching staff to change the game to make a change? And I mean, John Joe Shelby is a great example. He's being selected ahead of Key on the bench. Maybe Key's no good. I thought Key played an important role last season yeah. under under Rafa, particularly particularly against better teams in, in, in difficult away games. So Shelby's being selected ahead of Key. He, Shelby can't get in the team ahead of a 19 year old kid who's played three Premier League games. Where his his head must be at, I don't know. Obviously, he got. You know, he has history with Wolves. Whether that came into or not, I, I, I don't know. Um, but there, there has to be more. There has to be more from the manager, in my opinion, George, than just allowing those situations to develop. And I think, I think no, I, and I, you make a, you make a no. You, that is a proper good point. I think when you say that goal was coming, it was that is. I mean, it was. You know, it's it's a cliche to say that goal. Well, that was coming, but that you could. It was telegraphed, and you could see it. And um, it it there was such an in, inevitability about it. Yes, I, I suppose I was talking more about changing the game creati- create, creatively, but the first the first thought there should have been trying to just ch- change it up and shake it up, and I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. 
I mean, I think even just to give give them something to consider. I mean, I, th- I think it was all so easy for them, and and the I think the game had settled into a pattern where it was literally just basically us reacting to whatever they were doing yeah. and not very well. Yeah. Um, but they literally had it, that, it. Almost felt as if they were an autopilot because it was a case of just give Trevor the ball, he'll get the byline, and we'll yeah. we'll get a chance from it. And I think just even, I mean, Atsu is an interesting one because. And, and probably even Gail could have come on to do this role. I think we just needed a bit more of, a bit more energy and a bit of pace just to, as you say, you, they were pushing up, they were leaving a lot of space in behind just for that potential. I mean, you, you said about Shelby being a liability, but the one thing I thought he did that I appreciated when he came on was um, Almiron made a run. I think it was his first touch of the ball, basically. Almiron made a run in behind and Shelby hit it and put it in behind Almiron made a really good run and it was the first time that type of run had actually been spotted and yeah. we played a four pass two and it, it got in behind Wolves. It didn't come to anything, but at least there was a bit of intent there and there was something there for, for Wolves to worry about. I think far too for, for far too long in the game, they didn't have to really worry about anything. And I mean, let's be honest, the, the goal, it was a, a brilliant cross from Fernandez, but it, it pretty much came out of, out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it's not as if we, we had really any sustained pressure during that period when we were on top well it wasn't a counter-attack goal and we're sort of set up to counter-attack yeah. and it absolutely wasn't that it was from a recycled ball from set and I, I just think the there were there were opportunities there for him to at least try and and cause some some issues for Wolves and he didn't take that opportunity for whatever and I, okay he said he think he feels like he's got his best 11 on on the pitch um but at the same time it, it hadn't worked and they you could see the players I mean the front three are probably all very low on confidence as it is anyway, to then go another 80 minutes without scoring, without really sort of threatening to to, um, get a goal other than armour on. Um, I just feel like it, and and again, as you say, that that sort of whole, how the the three of them work as a partnership um, just isn't linking up properly. Atsu has done all right when he's come on in the past, and I never thought I'd be saying this, but... He's he's done, he's offered a lot more in the final third than... More more importantly, I think, to yesterday is... for Almiron, you could tell the difference between the two sides. Almiron got back, he defended, he grafted. Yeah, he's not very good at it. He gives away fouls, but he's there. St. Maximan was just nowhere. He was. If I'm if I'm Jetro Williams there, I'm you know shouting at him saying I need some help here. I mean, Kieran Clark made about five brilliant blocks. He had a really good game, I thought yesterday. Clark, he's, you know, that's credit to Bruce. I have to do it. He brought in Clark against Man United. No one expected it. He could have brought back Dummett yesterday. He brought in Fernandez, who's more suited to that side and it worked really well they both had really good games not just the assist for Fernandez as well he had a good game mm-hmm. one mental pass aside but you know I think I think Almiron is doing doing the defensive side quite well and is putting that effort in and that graft whereas St. Maximan just is, is nowhere near that and when you've got an attacking fullback like Willems who's not the best defensively you, that's you know it's not you know for your genius to work out where they were going to target but also it was easy at that target that side because there was a massive gap in front of Willems and, and fair play to Miran for putting that graft in. The thing is that you, you know you talked about the bench and how he thinks his you know his best eleven was out there. I, I mean I've been a, I've been a countless Newcastle games. I've looked at the bench and just thought I I don't want him to make I don't want any subs to be made because like the, like we really don't have. A, but I just thought at least yesterday, like the players that we had, yes, limited in their ability, and that's a wider issue from sort of years of neglect, but. The, the players that we had on the subs bench were at least very definite. They had de- very definite skills, regardless of whether they would fit into whatever. But like you know, you had the pace of uh, you know you got the pace of Muto. You had Dwight Gale, who 
arguably a better, <laughs> he will be a better finisher than, than Joe Linton's shown himself at the moment. You've got Shelby who has very, very definite skill set as well. Um, you know, so you've got Atsu who's a lot more sort of tactically sort of um, savvy as well as, as a sort of like a, an inside forward. So you've got, I, I wouldn't, I sort of don't buy the fact that his, that his best 11 was out there. And that was, that was, that was the only, that, that, that was all the hope that we had to get. No. And he also said, he also said um, that it felt like we were, what did he say? It felt like we'd sort of accepted one nil and were just hanging on for it or whatever, it, you know, again, words to that effect. Well, Fine, if you can recognise that afterwards, you should be able to recognise that whilst it's happening and mm-hmm. do something to, what was, to change what, it. What was what he was saying about, you know, the, the, you know they, <laughs> the players, sat too deep? And, like, what, yeah. what, I mean, he's he's the head coach. If, if, you, if you spot that, it, was it that he told them to and they still did it? Like, or did Wolves just push us back? Was, was it the Wolves were just particularly good in possession? Like, what, what, well, what is I, it? I mean, I don't know because, and then it's it sounds like I'm trying to speak on his behalf, and I don't. But I think he would. Come I on, Steve, would, give us the answers. I would. You know, he he would probably argue that that the team are trained to play like that. I think that would be his response to that. That it's second nature for them. Yeah, and we've talked. We, I think we've kind of gone through the motions on that one a little bit. Yeah, it, we all, we all hope wish it had turned out better. And when we'd all argue that, you know, in hindsight, he should have changed it because Wolves end up scoring. You never know. Martin Dubravka gets a punch in it or catches it, and yeah. we win one 0 and we're sat here thinking, well, you know, that's a massive win. We've got level on points with Wolves, and that's the sad thing about yesterday. And, and I kind of feel in my, you know, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed these days about looking back at our relegation seasons, trying to find things that we did then that... You know, an absolute sadist, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm kind of playing that 15-16 side against this and, like, who would who would win? You know, like, I think 15-16 would win, but most of them were arseholes, so catch them on a bad day <laughs> would hammer them. But one of the things, when it, you know, relegation sides previously, and I think, I don't know, I think it was your piece, George, you mentioned that in 08-09... Uh, was it you know December and November we got as high as eleventh place, and any you, you kind of typical relegation team any time that offered a chance a golden chance to step away from the mix not just the relegation zone but the whole picture you're back in you know Newcastle won yesterday they got they're on thirteenth or something like that and then the whole context of this week coming up the press conference on Thursday Sky Sports speaking to him all that kind of stuff it's a different conversation but yeah. the team implored and self harm so often that they constantly keep getting dragged back in to, a, to the extent where it becomes naturalised. And it, it is naturalised with us. You know, this is a just kind of Richard Keyes territory here when you compare this season to last season and games played. That'll soon run out because we won every game in November last season. Yeah, yeah. So that's... Had a phenomenal... Yeah, yeah winning three massive games. You know, West Ham away is a really tough game for anybody. It's a hard game. It's a particularly hard game for us. You know, Bournemouth at home after that. And I just, I just worry that this kind of cycle of the manager coming out defending himself because he gets a lot of criticism although quite rightly you know there isn't that much in the ground really I think we get some criticism at True Faith because we've been hugely critical on the podcast and the fans and stuff and some fans have said to us well actually in the ground and in the away end people are broadly behind the manager and broadly behind the players there is there hasn't been any anti-Bruce sentiment there hasn't you know he's able to pick the ball up still and he still broadly has this in my opinion the support of the match going public even if we can run a poll like we did. It's tacit. It's yeah. there's no there's no it's not like Alan Pardew being manager and everybody booing him. I mean, as it got to towards the end, 
Um, it's not like that. It's it's. There's, I mean, it's it's not support, but it's sort of just quiet acknowledgement that he's <laughs> yeah. the manager. It's acceptance. Acceptance, sorry, that is, that's the right word. Yeah. <laughs> if only I worked in the business of words. Um, and it's that, and certainly around the press box, you'll have heard a bit of that yesterday, there are the odd sort of individual shouts that aren't particularly complimentary, but there's no, no, there's no... There's no other, there's nothing else. There's no campaign of aid. No. At least not yet. And, and, and everyone knows, don't they? Everyone knows if you start, if you sack Steve Bruce, who, who are they going to bring in? You know, we don't need to get into it, but the, the issues really lie above them, despite the frustrations that we're, we're talking about now. Well, if, you, if you're, and you, you make the point, not, not to get you on your hobby horse of previous relegations, but I have just written about that, but the 15-16 the one I think is interesting because, um, you know, there are parallels of a, underwhelming managerial appointment. There are the parallels of spending, by Newcastle's standards, a bit of money. Um, and although definitely the 15-16 team is a lot better in terms of individual quality, um, and I was no fan of Mitrovic, but I would put Mitrovic in this team now because I think he would score goals. I think he was. I mean, I think he would score some goals, unlike this team. Um but there was it was a it was a team that had just been put together because of I mean over two or three years because of value and because of availability and because you know because of things like that and I worry that that's what they've done this season you know signings that weren't signed off by Benitez that were signed off by Bruce but have got nothing to do with him and you know you look at Jalinton uh, not to pick on him because he's he's definitely got something. Um, but you know this absolute fascination with him, fascination you know wanting him in February or wanting to Benitez to sign that off in February for forty million quid. Ashley prepared to pay twenty million quid of his own. I mean, what was it? What was the idea? I mean, what was the what was the thinking behind that? Apart from he's young and so there might be sell on. But it's, I mean, again by Newcastle's terms, that's a phenomenal amount of money. And what was it that that was supposed to do? What was he supposed to be bringing to this team? I mean, what was the plan? I think what was the plan with St. Maximin? What is the plan with the players that they've brought in? What was the idea? And it was almost as if they had a football expert last season. And it was (laughs) almost as if they ignored him. Can I I do something I thought I'd never do? I'm not going to stick up for them. And by them, I probably mean Lee Chartney. I I imagine he would argue they never expected to lose Iose Perez. And you can't argue that we'll spend the money that we got from. But I think we miss Perez so, so, so much. I agree. Not just his goal scoring ability, his ability to win free kicks, his ability to link the back and the front, his ability to kind just of to hold on to the ball. To hold on to the ball. He's, intelli- yeah. he's an intelligent player. Yeah. yeah. And, and there was a lot of Newcastle fans didn't like him, but I suppose they, they thought with Joe Linton, with Perez playing off him. But that's football. You lose players, you know, you, you're prepared for that. You should, they should have had a replacement for every single player if someone came in for them. Etc. Etc. Just, just really quickly on fifteen, sixteen. You know who they should ask if they really want something around the training ground. I think you know we don't want to make the same mistakes again. Don't think Jack Colbock's doing anything <laughs> these days. He was, he was around and he was playing. And I'll get shot down for this. I, you know, I worry about Matty Longstaff a little bit in terms of how much he's being exposed. And it's great that he's playing and it's great that he's come through. But I feel he's just kind of he was against a three-man midfield yesterday and he hardly touched the ball. Um, you know, it's Jack Colbert. Jack Colbert. If we're not going to play Shelby for the reason we're talking about, and then Key is just not even considered good enough to get on the bench. 
and everyone will hate this, but I think Jack Colback could at least, he's got Premier League experience, at least he's been there, done that, he's been relegated with the club. We could do we could do worse, but I can, I can see you. The this, opinions of the host uh, are not this, shared yeah. by all of the Anyway, I've got to go. Yeah. Um. <laughs> this, this, this is Mark Noble for England, Dodsey. I'm not having he it. should have played in 20. We played nah. Wayne Rooney instead. Nah, exactly. He's, um, he's nah. not got a squad number, has he? No, so he, he doesn't. I find that odd. Just sneak him one on, just stitch him one on the back or something. But George, to answer you quick, like you, you sort of answered your own question there. I think I think Joe was absolutely, again, you're right, there is, there's something bigger that's weird and doesn't quite fit together about that whole transfer deal. But ultimately, almost certainly brought him in to get to 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 sort of like um get a like a twenty million pound profit in a couple of seasons time. Well, that's I, I my, genuinely I mean, that's believe that's all. That's that that's literally it. like because if you look at the if you they're, break down the money, they're missing a massive money, part of that though. That to get that twenty million profit, you have to actually do something. But break down the money. Break down the money of what it would have cost Rondon for his wages, and yes, they were significant, and the transfer fee. Put that into you know compare that with what Joe Linton's transfer fee was and Joe Linton's wages, like it, it all comes down to the age and the selling value. I get that, but Rondon is absolutely what we need right now. I know, but when the, we're in the fucking mire. But the, th- the 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 thing that they can't see is that, and never have done, is that they they think that that money is wasted money because he's thirty now because it was whatever it was hundred grand a week. It was a shitload of money, and he would have you know wanted to whatever, contract of three years, maybe, whatever, I don't know. But Play so, the air, earned it. So, it, I, to, me, it's, <laughs> to me, it's absolutely a no-brainer, and yeah. it's a bargain, because he made Almiron better, he made the team better, the team moved up places in the league, Almiron looks a better player, Perez, I mean, at the end of that last season, Perez was a fucking £30 million footballer, and people were giving him stick for being in the team <laughs> at the start of the season, and he was... A, and he was he was he became a thirty million pound footballer from playing alongside Almiron and Rondon for the second half of the season. And, and what Rondon brings as well in that final third is experience, and he brings yes. leadership as well. They are we are lost in the final yeah. third without a player he like that. He holds the ball up. He holds the ball, and up. he knows the league. And Free. so, so he's he's earned. Sorry, he's earned. How much did Perez cost? One point five million. One point five million. All right. So I'm exaggerating slightly, but Rondon. This is a massive exaggeration, but Rondon <laughs> made Perez twenty million pounds better. No, I don't think it was an exaggeration. I mean, obviously Rafa did, but you know, but playing in that team yeah. where people are playing—the word he used all the time was balance—and it's like, what are you going on about that? And then suddenly Almiron arrives as the third bit of that tri- triangle, and you think, oh my god, yes, this works. There is now balance, um, and it's not that the fact that they're all world class wonderful players because patently they're not it's about having a team and a system that works and it's about having a manager that knows what he's doing and knows how to make the most of what he's got and chemistry yeah yeah they, yeah. they, they complemented each other and, and that's that's the key and i think it's interesting to compare those three to the three we've got now they they all i mean we said at the time they came in and from day one almiron rondon and perez all were on the same page they the little one twos the little touches i mean some of the goals that they scored together, I mean, I can't remember who it was against, the one where Perez and Rondon... Everton, was, um, it? was it? Yeah, possibly, yeah was the Everton it, goal. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the best goals I've seen Newcastle score in a long time. Rafa, Rafa liked it. He said um, if it was Messi, yeah. it'd be... It, no, it's, it's true. Yeah. I, I, it literally would be in the for Puskas, I think. It, like, it was that good. <laughs> um, where And it was unbelievable. I didn't did not expect that. Whereas, I mean, I, these three try and do that. 
the ball has got for throwing or something, <laughs> probably. Like, it's, I, it's just ridiculous. Can but, I um, just pick you up something really quickly? Because I want to speak to you more about Joe Linton. We'll have to move on. Um, you talk about bringing them in to sell them for 60 million quid. How many players have been brought forwards in the Premier League have been bought for 60 million quid? Because I can only think of two, Lukaku and Aubameyang. Turning Joe Linton into a 60 million pound footballer at the, same time. At the minute seems like even even if he'd come in and scored 15 goals convincing somebody 60 million quid that's this is just George's point I agree with you completely of paying so much money if they'd have brought someone in for 20-25 million the fan base would have been happy the fan base would have been mm-hmm. delighted you know like it's just yeah. something just doesn't no, seem I, right I, I, no just, I, I, right but we're trying to find if we're trying to find the, the most feasible theory in the fucking bonkers regime of this club so like what so what is the motivation to pay that much money twice our transfer record for a player who never scored double figures as a as a as a leading number 9 I'd, I'd maybe uh, Ashley was thinking cuz he was putting 20 million of his own money in that like wipe that debt off and it it was actually only 20 million pound sign in <laughs> and any profit we get I don't know it's another way of stealing more money out of the club but probably or something. you you wanted to talk about Joe Linton's stats Ben um, I didn't. Well, you sent us the stats. Well, it wasn't for, it wasn't for Joe, Joe Linton. It was uh, Almiron. Oh, Almiron, sorry. But, Almiron. I mean, to be fair, the, the, the point stands in terms of the... I mean, I think they've... The, I mean, the lack of goals between the three of them is embarrassing. Um, I mean, the stats for Almiron was... I think he's since he's signed last year, so he's played, I think, 20, 20 odd games for, the, for Newcastle. Hasn't had an assist yet for us. Um, I think he's only in there, in the Premier League statistics anyway, he's only created one... Um, one one chance for the team, um, but it's just it's. I, I, get, I suppose it comes back to the, what we've just been discussing there in terms of it just doesn't seem to be working, and I think there's a lot of pressure on on him at the minute to to be really the sort of he's he's the the oldest statesman out of the, the three of them in terms of uh, the most experience with, with Premier League experience. He's the one that was part of that front three last season that did did very well. Um, and it, it's it, you can see that the pressures get to him, the chances he's missing every time he gets in on goal, he takes two or three extra touches that he doesn't need, um, and it's it's just I guess that for me that is the key to this this team working is you've got to get armor on firing, um, and the way they're going at the minute, I feel like they're just running him into the ground. You said he, he was doing most of his best work, basically playing as a second right back for for us. Well, what the hell good is that? And I understand your criticism of Sir Maximam, but at least he's he saves his energy to then run from deeper. When he got the ball every time, he was trying to beat players and he was basically trying to run it out from the right back position or left back rather um, and, and was looking to attack them and he, and he had some decent runs and you were talking about had a little bit of excitement where he was uh, taking on players. He obviously lost the ball a couple of times in dodgy positions. But with Almiron, I feel like he's wasting so much energy working for the team and in terms of the the benefit it's really given we're not getting we're, we're probably not going to concede from most of the times when he's bursting a gut to get back in in, in to sort of the right back position or whatever whereas re- in reality you need him to retain his energy for when we get forward there was a couple of times yesterday where we, we were breaking i mean the, the obviously the obvious one was where we had a four on two yeah, and he's running he's got two men to his right he's got Jolton basically through the middle and he picks the worst pass and I think that is basically he's been ground down in, in his mind there's no way he would have played that ball last season with those two players understanding how they play they, they would have worked it far more smartly 
And I think he just panicked and thought, I've just got to get the ball forward and played a poor pass. Um, now, this, as I say, this is the key. They've got to work out a way to get him back on form. Now, whether that's resting him and, and giving him a bit of a, a break out of the limelight, um, I mean, even put him in, I mean, he hasn't, hasn't he's barely, well, he hasn't scored a goal. He's barely even really um, had a great, great chance. Put him against reserves, whatever. Let him go and beat up some 23-year-olds and on a, a midweek game or whatever. Yeah, no, let's let him get his, his sort of, his aggression out, whatever. But he, he needs, he needs some, he needs some form of, of, a, a you good seen the size of some of the twenty threes these days. I, well, yeah, I, I can take them. He's from Paraguay, man. I think, I think bullying uh, the Newcastle. Are, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. It's probably should be encouraging <laughs> Particularly too soon. soon. We've before just been through all that with you. Yeah, a former member of the coaching <laughs> staff. So let's move on. But I, I, it might take something like that. I think he needs a, a positive spin on it because I think at the minute it's just getting him down and it's impacting him. And maybe he just needs to go for a night out with George or something. We'll get him tomorrow, with the boys. Right, that break. It was like it suddenly it was there, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like it's there, and this is what they're gonna. This is what they can do, yeah. or what they could do if, if dot dot dot. And then yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not even that he picked the wrong path. He shouldn't have passed. He should have just yeah. continued, yeah. Yeah. continued yeah. driving because yeah. there was a gaping hole in the middle. He yeah. has the pace. Yeah. Just drive and drive and that, drive until it was that panic where I think it it was just I've I've been playing. He's not in form, oh, and pressure. I think there's a lot it's of pressure on him. Pressure. Yeah. And it was a case of well, there's, there's two outside of his. If I get it to one of them, then that's going to open things up. But it, it was just the wrong pass, and that just epitomised it. And then, obviously, goes through and has that one-on-one with the keeper after a brilliant ball from Mike Longstaff, to be fair. It was. Um, hell it was of a, a ball. ball. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just that extra touch, and, and he basically misses the chance because he, he takes it right up to the keeper and makes it an easy save. It's just, it, there's, there's something missing there. And I think he it is that, that reliance now. It's all on him. Last season, it wasn't all on him. He was an, he was an accompaniment part to to two of the very good, established, experienced Premier League players. He doesn't have that now. He's got Jonathan that's played a handful of games that at times looks disinterested because he's getting so frustrated with the lack of, of quality. Yeah, well, that that brings us nicely because I want to speak to George about the long staffs. But yeah, you you weren't happy with Jonathan's body language. No, were you? L- listen, Jonathan all season, like I, I said when he, when he arrived, that it was always... It was going to take a while for him to integrate because he's young. He's coming to a he's coming to a completely different country, diff, different league, a lot of expectation on his shoulders. And since you know he's been feeding off scraps, he hasn't had the service. And you know, centre forwards need service. He has been asked to play a role that I don't think is is a natural fit for him either. So I do have I, do, I absolutely have sympathy with him because he's a he's a human and it, 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 it's. There's such a book coming here. Yeah, there is a big book, but I think, and, and, and I, I think lie. yesterday, no, but yesterday I saw signs that his, his, he was allowing his frustrations to get the better of him and his application has been compromised because he's probably just frustrated with the whole situation, with the coaching, with the, with the ta- the, a tactic that isolates him. And even, even the last few games when it seems to, we seem to be a little bit more coherent in that final third, he's still not getting the ball to his feet Fit, like to face on goal and, and being able to have like chances to shoot, you know, to shoot on goal. He there was an incident where Sam Axman, yeah, he fizzed the ball at him a little bit, but fizzed that. The, the fact that he, he, I mean, he completely missed the ball. He didn't, he didn't even sort of bounce off his toe or anything like that. He just he completely missed it, and he was kind of like you know, and he, and I get that, but it's he doesn't show a lot of desire. He he's he, he like I say, his frustration is there, and he's. You know, you you look at the way 
You look at the way Lascelles determination to run into the box for his goal, dive between two players, and 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 really attack a football. Like we we don't see Joe Linton do that. He missed times. He missed times the, the the flight of the ball and crosses quite a lot actually. And you know if he just he needs, I think he just and he saw he got he got really really frustrated as well um, when um, Sam Axman went down. He thought it should have been a possibly a penalty or a corner. And 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 I thought the the referee did pretty well to call Lascelles over and because he he probably should have given Joe Linton the yellow card there and then, but he didn't. He gave him, you know the Lascelles the captain the opportunity to just talk him down. Just say calm down. I am going to have to book him. But I just think he. He really, he's really starting to express his frustration, which isn't isn't helpful, isn't helpful. And I just think a lot of the, he's not doing a lot of the basics as as much as the caveat at the start of what I've just been saying in terms of like he's not been getting the service. He's, he's it's not his natural role. He still needs to get the basics right, and I don't think he he is, and I think that's having an effect on our ability to 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 build any any you know semblance of of meaningful attack, and that's. You know he's unfortunately part of the problem at the minute. Like, it, and it's it's. I'm not trying to vilify him because it's a lot rained on him, but it's it's part of why we're struggling in the final third, and part of why we're not scoring goals. He's also 23. Yeah, and, and just turned, and, and a lot's been, you know, a lot is being asked of him. And as you say, he's he's not. I mean, certainly not yet. He's not suited for that for the role he's playing. And um, you know, perhaps he will be in time. But you know, not you know, harking back to Rondon again. One of the things that I loved about him was that even when he was isolated last season, which he was a lot of the time, he made defenders' life difficult. He worked defenders, and you know, he was he was perfect for that role. He was perfect for that role. He he, and you know, Gillington can't do that and. Yeah, I think we have to we have to we have to accept that he, you know, not everybody can settle straight away, and he hasn't, and there has to be patient patience. It's just that Newcastle aren't in a position where patience is sort of. We don't have the luxury of time. When 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 do we have it? Though I mean, it's well, it's, no, it's, yeah. it's it's repeating the same state with Mitrovic, and yeah. that we we basically bet the house on on a twenty one year old striker. Then now yeah. a twenty three year old improving striker. Yeah. He's got bags of potential. And you could see he had something. And yeah. You could see he had something, but not necessarily the right thing for this team. And yeah. that is, you know. The, the last thing on, on Drillet I want to say is that, and I, again, I like him. I'm sure he's delighted, but he doesn't have loads yeah, of pace. You like Jack Colback. Yeah. You've just, made a, you just made a case <laughs> if, of Jack Colback. If they were black and white, that I'm a huge fan. That's fine. Um, That's good. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm having a go at Jack Colback. We're Jack. Um, nah. Our, our Jack. Drillet doesn't have loads of pace, and he, he, he doesn't have immense physicality and, and aerial ability and in the Premier League you have to kind of either have both of them or at least be very good at one of them and we've kind of signed an in-between guy. So why do you like him? Oh because he because he seems like a great lad he's, he's having a go at the referee he's <laughs> he's, he's showing passion. Why do you like Steve Bruce then? Because in a in a game that you're winning 1-0 and there's about 400 yards of space behind the back four of Wolves <laughs> back five even uh, he decided not to bring him on. I'm sure Steve Bruce and Steve Bruce you know he doesn't listen I'm sure but if he does want to come on the show and talk talk to us um, we'll all be starstruck like we are with you right now and, and treat him very well and give him give him the best seat and give him the camera right in his face. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe Linton for me... Just giving compliments to everyone tonight, yeah, isn't Joe it? And, and then we'll ask him questions about what George Colton would say yeah. to him. And... Yeah, Joe Linton. Right, we'll, we'll find out. George, we've 
we're, we're getting on for time. Right. Um, I'm sure you've got a busy night ahead. The Longstaffs. Yeah. How enthused are you about that situation? How, you know, that the mighty Sean Longstaff Newcastle, like, do, do, you, do you see it as this bright new future or is it a little bit... Well, you're asking me just after one of them has been sent off. Yeah. You can tell us about um, that as well, your thoughts on that. And, 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 and that's, that's starting to become an issue, I think. Central midfielders getting sent off. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, I don't think the sending off is a travesty of justice. I mean, I can see... I can see why some people don't think it was a sending off. I think he was unlucky in the sense. I mean, I think his foot was his foot was highish, and then I think what's actually happened is he's hit Neves, and it's Neves's body that's lifted his leg up. So it, when you look at the replay from one angle, his leg is so high and his boot is so high. But it was actually, I mean, I'm, but I think actually what that means is that there wasn't enough control in that tackle, and so it's lifted his leg up. So. I don't think I don't think I I don't think there can really be many complaints or if there can I don't think it's a travesty of justice. I mean I don't feel strongly about it. It wasn't as bad as the Hayden challenge no. but it, it similar type that it was that lack of control and in the conditions I think it's one of those where you Longstaff knew it was coming. Yeah. He knew it was coming and he didn't complain. But that's I don't think any of them did did they? they? You, know, you know who was angriest? His brother. <laughs> His brother was in at the ref for kind of five, 10 minutes after yeah. which is great to see. But yeah, you know, yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, Matty Longstaff and, and the whole North East North Shields resurgence there in the academy. Do you do you feel it's something that we can really get behind this season to support one of the few bright sparks? Well, we of, of course, and we have to. I mean, I suppose the interesting thing was what a huge uplift it gave everybody in the immediate aftermath of Man United, and um, it sounds cruel to sort of say that maybe that's a sign of how how kind of poor things have been that we all got hugely excited about a lad who played one game against Man United. He played phenomenally well that day against a really shit Man yeah. United, the worst Man United team I've seen in 40 years of, of uh, watching Newcastle. Um, is that true? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, having said that, you know, he played brilliantly in that game and he showed no fear and it's fabulous seeing someone come on like that and try and dictate things and want the ball and this team doesn't want the ball enough and, you know, do all those things that the sort of more experienced players can't do or haven't done or are too scared to or, you know, whatever. And it was great. There's been a levelling off since then and um, I can't remember him doing anything particularly yesterday. Can you? One decent ball at the top for Almiron, yeah. but that's it. Yeah. And, yeah, that's it. But, you know, should we single him out in that from yesterday? No, because nobody really played well. I mean, nobody, you know, nobody shone apart from... You mentioned Kieran Clark, who's done very well since he came back in. I mean, you know, but there's no sort of standout performer in a game like that. Um, and so, did we all get overexcited? Probably, probably because that's what we do. Um, and we haven't a lot of things to get excited about. Seeing two Geordie lads in the middle of Newcastle's midfield is great. And they're different players. I mean, that's the thing I like about them. Sean Longstaff has that crisp striking of the ball and the tall and sort of you know thing and and Matty's much more of a scurrier but with like a beautiful you know can pass the ball well as well it's 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 great to see I'm not going to be kind of critical of them because I don't I don't want to be but there's definitely been a leveling off in the in the game since hasn't there? I think what I'd sort of the way I feel at the minute I think that wasn't the type of game that suits suits Matty so in the minute game it turned into a so it was an energetic performance. There was a lot of ground to cover, 
it was it was almost end to end at times and he looks more comfortable as a box to box getting on yeah. the edge I mean he Obviously, the strike. I mean, you're talking about Chris Strike. I mean, that was a hell of a strike. He's clearly a, a clean ball striker himself, and he's going to be able to do that when he gets near the box. But when he's sat in in the type of game that we had against Wolves, where for the majority of the game he's in his own half and he's having to decide one of three options very quickly in a matter of seconds, which pass to make. Um, and we saw that against Manu a couple of times that he made the wrong passes and and was a little bit off. Um, I th- that he doesn't feel as comfortable in that type of role. I think Sean is a bit more suited to that and is a bit better, got probably better control. I mean, people were comparing them to the likes of Carrick and Scholes type of thing. I mean, that's obviously way, way off. But in terms of the type of players they are, Sean very much feels like the more composed player, a bit more comfortable in sort of close um, close control and, and sort of nipping the balls and making all the right um, passes. Whereas Matty, I don't think that that is his game. And I think that's where he's, probably struggled um, yesterday in that he didn't really get the opportunity to, to carry the ball forward, get forward, link up. He played that one great ball, the one chance he had, and it was perfect, inch perfect. It, we, should, we should have scored from it. Um, but I think there's there's going to be games where it, it suits one and not the other. And I think that's one of the things we, we saw with um, the partnership between Longstaff and Hayden um, last year. And, and now the athleticism of the two of them complimented each other but also they are both two players comfortable at playing deep lion roles and um a lot of their game is based on sort of the defensive structure and communication and, and all of that whereas I, I don't feel like from I mean obviously we've only seen Matty two or three games but um I don't think he's he's got that discipline about him necessarily and I just I feel like he's, he's he wants to get forward a bit more and, and push on and I think as I say it was probably just a reflection of the way the game played out it didn't play to his strength. So I think that's where he probably got a little bit lost. Yeah. I worry slightly for him because I think I think next week you would have seen Hayden come back alongside Sean. Great. Matty's come in, done unbelievably well. He's here for the season. He's going to be a crucial feature. Now, I, I find it highly unlikely that John Joe Shelby will be reinstated for West Ham away. So once again, Matty Longstaff's probably got another three games by default. You know, every every game he plays, other teams learn about him learn what he's good at, learn what he's bad at. And every time he plays as well, you know, he's 19, he's, he's literally learning how to play football at the highest level and he's doing it in a very bad team. Um, and, and there's a lot of expectation. And there's a lot of expectation, like you say. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Steve Bruce has brought through young players before at his previous clubs, some, some ones who've gone on to be very successful, Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson, other key ones that people talk about now, but also players before that. So I'm sure he, he's aware of that, but I just kind of saw Matty Longstaff yesterday and I just thought, well, you know, have you been sufficiently prepared against Wolves' three-man midfield, including Ruben Neves, who, when he turned it on in the second half yesterday, just ran the game. You know, it was some of his, his kind of no-look passing over his head was unbelievable. It was yeah. quite, it was quite incredible to watch. But he's a thirty million pound footballer. That's what they do. Um, and I just think, you know, I don't, I don't want him to. Someone tell Jolin. I don't want him to come out of the. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't want Longstaff to. To, to you know, to, to be to be kind of dropped because he's struggling, and then he's out the team, and then people are thinking, "Is there any is he any good?" Type thing, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm just talking it through. I don't have all the solutions right now. I just think it's such a shame for him almost that he has to play next week now in what could be a really difficult afternoon. Do you remember? Do you remember last season? I went to the West Ham game last season, and Sean had just come through, and the the kind of some of the, some of the pre match sort of comparisons were being made to Declan Rice. Yeah. Declan Rice was superb that day, mm. and he's kind of you remembered at that point that Sean had played a handful, a handful of games, of games. Yeah. 
in the Premier League. We got and, battered that day as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that comparison was was unfair because you were talking about comparing with someone who was young but who played a lot, a lot more. And I think we, I'm not saying we're kind of guilty of that. I think what we're guilty of is clutching onto something good, you know, and amazing and it's great and it's exciting and it's you know they're 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 our own so we want them to to do well and things are you like that. saying they're not skulls and carrick is that what <laughs> you're trying to say here i'm saying that they're not playing for man united in that team that also had gigs and beckham and Keane and you know i mean and that is that is the issue and it's very you know it's very difficult i mean i thought at the start of this season with sean you're looking at him thinking this is a lad who's played nine times in the premier league and he was quiet at the start of this season and you know, but then you also become aware of the partnerships that they've had. They were successful last season, as you say, Hayden and Longstaff. The fact that those two were the mainstay of the team, second half of last season, or how many games it was, is astonishing. Really, you know, thinking back to where things were at the start of last season. Um, but these things emerge. They were well suited. They were well suited not just because of what was in front of them. They were well suited to protecting the centre halves behind them, and it worked. It worked as a system, and it worked. You know, it's that classic thing of making use of what you have. And as you rightly say, does it become different with Matty in the team? Well, it might do, yeah, because he might he might be a better player, but he might not be suited to what they've got. And so. But this getting overexcited, it's it, it. This again is just a. It's a symptom of the regime because we, like you say, we've had not. We've had. We've been fed scraps for years. So as soon as something, you know, that that, that romantic narrative comes out, it's a bit harsh to describe Sammy Amiobi as scraps. He <laughs> <laughs> was quality uh, for a couple of games in the for league. For a couple cup. of games, um, but but you know the fact that there is pressure on these lads to deliver is because we. We've been bereft of, of of any sort of form of success. We're trying to find it in any sort of nook and cranny and corner that we can find it in the stadium. It's and this is the wider problem. They those lads should not have the pressure that they have now. They should be being brought in around much higher class players, talented players, and sort of nurtured. And we can't do that because we just have to throw them in because we have no other option. If you convert it to Jack Colbert as well. No, I hate him. Is that what you're saying? Is that what <laughs> just, you're to say? just to make that just, clear. Lee, Lee Charnley said last week, the week before, that he wants to have the best northeast, uh, the best academy in the northeast. I fucking hope so, considering the state of the other two northeast clubs at the minute and the extra hundred and twenty million pounds a year we we'll have at our disposal <laughs> as a football club. I don't know whether I'm taking him about a context there, but that seemed to be the quote. We want to have the best academy in the northeast. Well, yeah, which begs, which yeah, fine, but it begs the question: what they've been doing for the last twelve yeah. years. And, you know, if we, you know, if think back to the early days under Ashley and, you know, that was the idea, you know, that was the big idea. I remember being in with, first time I met Derek Lambias in the boardroom, he was saying that, you know, they had all that weird thing about purple players and orange players, I can't remember, you know, but the purples were the first team. And the idea was they would be in a position so that when they when something happened, when they lost a player through injury or, so, you know, transfer or whatever, they look behind and see what was behind them. And, you know, some of the things that the club did or have done, there's a form of logic to them. And, you know, the idea of being self-sufficient is something in this era which I think is, you know, is interesting and worthy in some ways. Um, but 
to do that, you have to do it properly. And at the moment, Newcastle is a self-sufficient club because of, t- of the Premier League team, TV money and nothing else. It's not driving anything else. Um, if they'd invested 10 million quid in the academy every year for 10 years, 12 years, I mean, that's a lot of money. I'm, that's off the top of my head. But, you know, if they'd been serious about that investment then, we really could be reaping rewards now and taking that seriously. At the moment, there is a huge opportunity for Newcastle to be the club of the north. It's the only Premier League side from the Scottish borders down to Burnley or whatever. It's a huge catchment area. And if it was a if it was seen as a vibrant, um, ambitious, forward-thinking football club, that should have some kind of meaning. Um, it's great that the Longstaffs have emerged. There are good players here that always have been. But, um, you know, I'm minded to think that their emergence is more of a fluke than because of great, you know, great management on behalf of the top of the club. It's so frustrating, isn't it? The, the timing of, of all this, I mean, as you say, had they have had this epiphany to invest in the youth years ago, then, as you say, we would have been reaping the rewards. The problem is they, they've decided that at the time when we're probably at our weakest for a couple of years in terms of our premiership status, and if we drop out of the Premier League, then I'm, the money's going to dry up, and where's this money that they're going to into the academy going to come from then where as you say when when we lose well not when hopefully if if we lose that tv money we're back to square one and and those plans dissipate and and they go back to to having to find another way to scrap out the the, the championship and it's just that there seems to be no forward planning and it's very much just a flavor of the month right this year we're gonna we're gonna invest in the in the academy but then you've just spent more money than ever on the first team and it just it it just seems to be really, really clouded, and there's, there's no consistency in any of the, the decision making. It's just it took it took you know it took them longer to get rid of Peter Beardsley than it's taken for Brexit to not happen. <laughs> I mean that's a, not, that's not true, but it may as well be. And you know, so it's not like it's not like it's all sweet and it's been all sweetness and light there because it hasn't. It's been incredible, incredibly dysfunctional. And you know, with a fella not making any comments on um, you know the stuff that he's been found guilty of, but by all accounts, was not equipped to be there in the first place as a coach. And, you know, again, the Ashley regime were fascinated by Peter Beardsley and and loved him, and I loved him as a football player, but there was nothing, he did nothing at the academy that suggested he was cut out for that. And, you know, there's been, it's the same same with anything. There's not enough people, There's there are really good people in that building, the academy, and, but, it needs leadership, it needs investment, it needs a plan, it needs a coherence, it needs a way of playing, it needs to link up with the first team, it needs to link up, you know, all that stuff. You know, a football club, it's about that collegiate effort and it's, you know, it hasn't been hasn't been that. We'll end on something uh, more positive, George. You you have a new role at a new publication, uh, The Athletic. No, I want to out, I quit. I want to <laughs> sick of it. I hate that as well. So, <laughs> I hate everything. Yeah, um, how's it going? Very well. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. So, uh, I mean, it's the role is the same sort of thing. It's northeast football predominantly, um, and then kind of diving into other stuff as and when, which I haven't really done yet. But sort of taking the restrictions of deadlines away, taking away the restrictions of space, taking away the, the restrictions on, um, you know, budget. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so they've they're sending. Where we're going for dinner, lads? They're, they're sending. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've got the co- I've got the company credit. Um, you know, they've they've sent people. They've sent people around the world, or, or you know, to do stuff. I got to I got to go to Holland to interview Lee Lee Cattenall. Um, <laughs> but actually, but actually, I loved I loved doing that. Um, I loved doing that. Um, and although this isn't maybe the most politic thing to say to a Newcastle. Uh, podcast i've been able to give a bit of attention to sunderland and i've been able to give attention we'll turn to this mic down here to, to, <laughs> to middlesbrough in a way that i couldn't at the paper at the times because simply because of the divisions they were in and i understand that but equally sunderland have still got the same number of fans I, that is not i don't want you to leap in and say they've got more empty seats than you i'm not <laughs> making that but you know they still have the same number of fans worldwide that they always have done it's just that they're in division one and i love the idea that we see them as worthy of coverage because of that not because of the division they're in and interestingly when i had my to me when i had my uh, chat with uh, the founders and the people trying to set it up i sort of said you know the northeast doesn't exactly feel like a vibrant patch at the moment you know god forbid what happens if newcastle go down and they said it wouldn't bother us bother us at all in fact it would sort of be good news because they'd we'd give great great coverage and newspapers would have to look elsewhere so i love that side of it i love the side that we can go off and do slightly different tangential things you know i kind of find it very the idea that if the story is people walking out the stadium then we can walk out the stadium with them and so you know um i wish you know as usual i wish it was a there was a chance to kind of write about happier happier stuff but had great access from sunderland and middlesbrough so far which has been lovely um and um it's been good to get my teeth stuck into newcastle stuff too but no i really enjoyed it it's good to hear i'm a subscriber and you know I, you. I say this uh likewise yeah <laughs> I, I say this honestly like you do really notice that difference. You know, I noticed today when I logged into the app to read your story, you know, there was an in-depth piece on Derby County's back three, which, you know, it, I read it and it was interesting. It might not flow like every single football fans, but, but the fact is there for Derby fans, championship fans, and anyone like myself who's likes to waste time at work and read about Derby's back three, it's, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice, fresh change in approach to kind of football coverage. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there on, on The Athletic which scratches beneath the surface a little bit i feel as a subscriber and i would heartily recommend i'm sure you're the same adam anyone listening to this to uh to subscribe and not just for george's stuff but for the whole for the whole repertoire of excellent writers you've got and we had chris in a few weeks ago and he he kind of talked through the same things as you and it's a it's a very exciting it's a very exciting thing as a fan it's, it's, it feels like shack, shackles off maybe a little bit and yeah, you can, a bit I mean, more creativity and so I was very lucky at the times. I mean, it's not you know it's not hugely dissimilar in the in the sense that I really saw the value of telling small story, you know, trying to give small stories prominence, and I think I think that's important, and hopefully I'll get a chance to sort of do that. But yeah, it takes you know, I think it's that it's that thing of because it's only Newcastle and their bottom of the table. Well, we'll give that five hundred words, or, or you know, you're filling a space, and that is gone now. So, if something's worthy of time and attention, a I can give it time, and I can give it space, and you know, I kind of really like, I like that, and it's the same for everybody. It's the same for Leicester. It's the same for Man City. There's a kind of democracy to it. If it's worthy of it, 
you write about it and you've got space and you've got time to think about it. So, you know, the challenge for us is to persuade people that it's worth spending a little bit of money on. To me, I think it's really important that it works because you're reminding people that stuff costs money, you know, that journalism costs money. And the reason why, you know, the reason I'm able to do that is because that investment is there to do it. Um, so, you know, but what do you get for that? What do you get in depth stuff? You don't get ads, you don't get pop-ups, you don't get any of that, you don't get clickbait, you don't get any of that stuff. And so we're reminded, it's a clean experience and we're, we're reminding people that that costs money. You pay for journalism one way or another. A lot of the time you pay f- for it, the experience being really difficult, you know, being unpleasant to read stuff. And I hope that we, you know, we show a different, you know, we show a different side to it. Um, I've come from a su- subscription, you know, paywalled paper, so I'm used to the model. But to me, I, you know, you know, and I know you have that as well in a different in a different form. It's important to remind people that, you know, it costs money. It's a lovely plug for for my next bit. So yeah, we are sponsored by. <laughs> Our our couple of hundred patrons who who keep this show free of charge, and the if you watch this on YouTube or on Twitter, the microphones that you you see in front of George's face uh, are paid for by you guys. So thanks very much. But you know, has this you, been on me the whole? You've got one on you. That one behind you is on the rest of us. So we're, that gets my ball patch, and well, that's just zeroing in on my face. bang on George, bang on. I'll not go in the kind a of good ball patch. To be fair, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> never coming back on this. <laughs> Well, I think we'll end it there. Thanks very much, George. We really appreciate your time coming to see us here in, in Gosforth. And, well, I uh, haven't... <laughs> can, I, can I be totally honest? You can be to- you're totally honest. We're all I, about I mean, I live 20 seconds away. So <laughs> if I hadn't come, it would have been such a big snub. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had to make no effort for this whatsoever. Fair so, enough. So don't thank me for making it's an It's all effort. appreciated, though, I've George. made no effort whatsoever. <laughs> Your lack of effort is true. Yeah. Humble. It's accepted. Your, yeah. <laughs> Very much like Steve Bruce. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back. It'll be Charlotte, Norman, and Chris next week uh, for the post West Ham debrief. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.